Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back, amazing parents. In this episode, we're unpacking a topic that's not just timely, it's absolutely essential, how to raise an anti-racist. In an era where issues of race and social justice dominate headlines, it's crucial that we equip our teens with the knowledge and tools to be active participants in the fight against racism. Joining me are the co-authors of The Anti-Racist Heart, a self-compassion and activism handbook. Roxy Manning, a clinical psychologist, and Sarah Payton, a neuroscience educator who are both certified center for nonviolent communication trainers. Together, they will shed light on how we can guide our teens to become not just non-racist, but anti-racist advocates who actively work towards a fair and inclusive world. Welcome, Roxy and Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Thank you for having us. (laughs) It's so great to see you guys. And I love this topic so much. Roxy, let's start with you. Please share just a quick backstory on what inspired you to focus specifically on anti-racism and challenging our cultural norms. Yeah. So as a Black person myself in the United States, I, of course, had experienced so much racism growing up in education, um, so many different challenges. But when I had my children, I realized that it wasn't enough just to survive it and to continue Mm -hmm. to thrive myself, but I needed to create a different world, a world where my children and all children could really be accepted and have everything that they needed to thrive. And so this book is part of contributing to that mission. I love that. And Sarah, how did you get into this area? You're with neuroscience, no less. Yeah, it's the wonderful thing about neuroscience and self-compassion. It takes you into first resolving your own personal trauma and then starting to look at the world and go, oh my goodness, we are in a pickle. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys decided to join forces. Mm -hmm. And what is your, what is your vision with this? Well, part of my hope is that we can enc- we can empower both people from the global majority, people in the United States that we call BIPOC, um, to have the skills to both hold themselves with a lot more loving tenderness, not to internalize all of these messages that they're received, and to be able to stand up and confront racism in ways that support them, that don't actually cause more harm for them or get them more ostracized. And we also want to support white folks in knowing how to be allies. We hear so many people saying, I want to show up. I want to support these people that I love and I don't know how to. I'm afraid to or I think I'm going to make it worse. So we want to empower everyone to have tools to be effective in confronting racism when it happens. I love that because I know as a white person, I sit there and go, I want to help. But for the longest time, honestly, I was like, this, there's so many problems. This isn't my problem. And it was a big aha moment when I realized this is my problem, because if I'm not fighting for this, then no one is. And so that was a big, you know, you don't really think about it that way. I think Um, Mm -hmm. at least I didn't. And then all of a sudden I was like, I'm the one that needs to make sure that things change. Right. But how that's really, it's hard because you feel like, well, I'm not equipped or have the knowledge to do that. Mm -hmm. 
I love this piece that you're saying that it's like everyone's problem, right? Because I always tell people that inaction is actually action. It's actually at minimum maintaining the status quo instead of confronting it. So it truly is everyone's problem. Yeah. And Sarah, what is your vision for this? My vision is um, we, we, Roxy and I were having a conversation with a friend the other day and, and he said, the inner work leads to the outer action. He said, the way you do your inner work and you vote differently, you do your inner work and you contribute to your school board differently, you know, you show up differently if you do your inner work. So my, my deep interest in asking uh, Roxy to do this particular book with me, she has one of her own as well, is that um, was to bring the light of self-compassion. What happens if we bring self-compassion to this question? Because so often people drive themselves relentlessly or are cruel to themselves or devolve into shame spirals. So how do we make ourselves and our readers resilient with self-worth? I love that. And I think, and I was telling you guys right before we started that this is something that I see every day in my practice. And I see it from, from the side of a lot of kids that have these very negative self connotations or self-views of themselves based on the messages they've been given that is very it's just so in-depth and just who they are and my daughter herself is from Guatemala and so she deals with and it's something I don't relate to directly so it's hard for me to completely understand but she deals with the fact that people make assumptions based on the color of her skin that have nothing to do with who she is and Mm -hmm. it's like how do you walk through the world and and with that and i think from my perspective it's like how do we recognize that we're doing that we're not born racist where does that come from well part of it is this entire system that we've been given right one of the things that I think is, you know, almost divisive to talk about in our country today is how it was founded. And it was founded to say we can only thrive as a country if we murder a lot of the indigenous folks who were here and if we enslave another whole set of folks in order to let one group thrive. And everything about our country has these laws, these attitudes, these values embedded into it. And I think it's important for us to recognize that this is not something, like you said, that we're born with. It's not something that we're choosing. It's something that we're receiving from all of the messages, all of the ways that things are set up. And if we're not actively paying attention to it, we accept it unconsciously. And that's when we start to behave in these racist ways. Yeah, I think the unconscious piece is a really, that's really important to to highlight because we're not going out there saying you guys are, people are you know, consciously being racist. (laughs) Most of us are not doing it that way. And yet there's things that are so normalized that you don't realize how they impact other people. And so how do we become just ourselves as parents first? Because that's where we have to start. How do we as parents first become aware of what our actions are doing to others and how those kind of unconscious or subconscious beliefs are impacting our interaction with others. Well, Sounds like a Sarah since it's getting into the brain. Yeah. Well, as you know, I mean, it's more likely that we've got parents listening to the podcast than we've got the kids listening unless mm-hmm. they're in the car <laughs> <laughs> with their folks. Um, 
but the um but the first thing is to begin to notice it to begin to say oh what roxy's saying about the history of this country is is a is a true history and of course there would be after effects of course there would be a kind of um a seam uh, an invisible seam i mean it's not that invisible but before you notice it it's invisible um uh, of of assumptions and actions and laws that and habits that prioritize white people and once we begin to notice that then we can start to talk about it with our kids it's like until we begin to learn ourselves and do our own internal work about this then until we do that then we don't have any subject for conversation with our kids we're just kind of hoping that everybody will be anti-racist but it actually takes work because of this kind of gravitational pull of our history yeah I, I want to make a comment here that this is not a political show and I for me I struggle how this has become political to be honest because it's it's human kindness and dignity is how I see it. And it's, it's accepting humans and accepting ourselves for who we are. So none of this is about a political agenda. It's just about how do we learn, no matter who we are, what we look like, how do we learn to see the human inside? Mm -hmm. And I think, and how do we realize when we are acting in ways that are dehumanizing people based on some very irrelevant information, I think, is what we do, mm -hmm. and just recognizing. So this is not about, I think, people get very upset when we bring up the past, <laughs> and we weren't them. We're not mm -hmm. them. And the beautiful thing is, because we're not them, we can make change, Yes, right? We have the room to, to recorrect what people in the past did. So we're not saying people are evil. I don't feel like people mm -hmm. are saying I'm evil. Mm -hmm. It's saying things that happened in the past were evil, right? Mm -hmm. And they didn't think they were at the time. Mm -hmm. And so now we're going, but we can change. So how do we do that? Well, as Sarah mentioned, like one of those first steps is being able to recognize what's happening and then to start talking about it, right? So part of exactly what you're naming that so many of us hear this topic and think, oh, it becomes political. It means we're evil. So we can't talk about it. Yeah. And if I even say that I did something that had a racist impact, then we shut down. We think that it's not okay. It means that I'm bad. And when I think about parenting, like what your show is all about, we want with our children to be able to say, hey, when you do this action that isn't working, I want to be able to talk to you about it so that you can do better, so that you can make changes. But the change doesn't happen if we can't talk about it, if we can't fearlessly look at it. So the first step is being able to name what's happening and then to start thinking, what's important to me? What am I valuing? What do I want to see happen going forward? And once we have that clarity, it guides us so much into what some of our next steps might be. Yeah. Can you guys give us an example or a few examples of how this shows up, like microaggressions show up? Because I think being aware where we don't always know what to look for to even be aware of, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some good examples that you see frequently? We see things like that doctors, doctors who are white walk into examining rooms and 
have an idea that black people don't feel as much pain mm -hmm. and black people end up receiving less pain medication and receiving unequal treatment, unequal mm -hmm. medical treatment. And this is something that's very well demonstrated by large scale research. Individual doctors think I don't do that, but if every individual doctor thinks I don't do that, but we're looking at that large scale mm -hmm. research and people need to go, well, maybe this is deeply unconscious and perhaps something needs to happen within. Yeah. And I'll give an example in the classroom. Please. I remember um, my children had gone to a parent participation school. And one day in the classroom, I was helping with a science class. The eighth graders had to do a science project and they had to come up with a hypothesis. And one of the hypotheses were Asian kids are good at math. And that's a microaggression, right? And sometimes you don't even think about it. It's like it's supposed to be this lovely compliment. But when we started talking about it, one of the Asian kids said, hey, I'm not good at math. And I don't know where to turn for help because everyone judges me so much if I say that I'm not good at math, right? And so how do we support the child who's saying Asian kids are good at math in being able to have a different understanding? And how do we support the children who are impacted in being able to be their authentic self and get access to the resources that they need? Yeah. So basically, if you're making a judgment on somebody based on very little information, especially if it's external looks mm -hmm. that we probably aren't correct because exactly. that's not enough information to know about anybody right exactly okay so those are good things to look for and I, I agree I think again people just don't notice so noticing first what can we do once we start noticing oh my gosh I'm not gonna I'm I'm gonna notice with curiosity we're not gonna beat ourselves up because this is where we were we learned right so we notice, okay, I have these. What do I do about it? There are a number of wonderful things that we can do that start to counteract the this kind of dominant wave of culture that comes through us. And one of the things we can do is, is to notice when after we have an interaction with somebody and we're walking away from them, do we remember their face? Do, 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 do they exist for us as a human being? And if they don't, then we can begin to say, oh, this is this person, a parking lot attendant. I didn't notice my part. I can't remember who that was. I wouldn't be able to recognize that person, you know, anywhere. So then we can begin to ask ourselves when we look at people, I wonder what was this person's favorite food mm -hmm. when they were 10? And then that person starts to become a person for our brain. It's like mm -hmm. we're inviting our brain to expand who it considers part of us. And I, I love this, Sarah, because I want to really like make this clear for parents, right? So if my children are having a play date and I start to make assumptions about the child of color, right? Oh, maybe they're not going to like this food or they're being too loud because they're those people are like that. Mm. Then I can also start to change my tendency to make these assumptions by wondering, you know, my child likes spaghetti. I wonder what this child's favorite food is. Mm -hmm. So do things that help to humanize that, that child in front of you so that you're seeing them as a person. What are the favorite games that this child might like to play that my child might also like to play? And that helps us to shift from seeing them as a group, an object, to seeing them as a human being. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And just even maybe just having your question that you ask. So you ask one question and I love like, what's your favorite food or what's your favorite music? But 
always have that question in mind when you meet somebody new Mm -hmm. to just think about it, to be an immediate kind of first way to humanize. I'm doing that. I love that. That's, that's such an easy way to just say, let me get past the surface of this person and what Mm -hmm. I see. Um, and just know that there's more that's beautiful. I think one thing I've noticed, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, I actually feel that a lot of the kids are a bit more open than a lot of the adults and the adults get a little angry with their kids when their kids correct them on what's now appropriate and get annoyed. Mm. Do you ever see this? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. How can you help us parents? How do we address when our kids, because God, our kids are not supposed to know more than us, but Mm. they do in a lot of areas of the world. Let's be real. So when our kids come up and correct us and say, mom, that term is not used anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember doing this with my mom because every generation is different and she would get very annoyed with me. I think Mm -hmm. she still gets annoyed with me when I try to correct her. So how as adults do we handle when our kids say, hey, that's no longer okay because we go into this place of feeling shame? Yeah. This is exactly the kind of modeling. This is an opportunity for the modeling that changes this whole conversation. So just say thank you. (laughs) Say, wow, dear, I'm so glad that your generation is really paying attention to this because it's helping me be the person I want to be. And I think kids need to learn that we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to have all of the answers. But what I can model for you is, and what you could learn as a child is, I can learn, I can take in new information, not beat myself up and use it. So just say thank you. Yeah, I love that. I think that in general is great way because one of the things that I know that I'm always afraid of, and sometimes I don't say anything because I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to come across as being racist. I'm worried. What if I say this and it is perceived as that? Yeah. So how do you address that fear? How do you address this fear? Um, well, I think that this is where self-compassion is so important. And and um, and I love that Roxy mentioned the perfectionism and and how God, how much we all want to not make any mistakes ever, and 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 want to have solid ground under our feet. Roxy, where does this question take you? Yeah. So. One of the things I encourage people in these kinds of conversations is to recognize you're not going to get it right, but what you will get right is your willingness to respond to impact. So if you said something that was like, oh, oh, I'm not sure why you said that. Yeah. And I told you, hey, you know, that didn't work for me. What you can also do is say, tell me more. And that's the other like quick phrase I tell people, just say, tell me more if you can't say anything else, because a tell me more says I'm not being defensive. I'm open to hearing how this was for you. And tell me more can be followed more, followed next by what can I do? Because I want to be, I want to be different. So those two questions can help switch the conversation from the kinds of defensive, not willing to look at impact place we've learned to this openness that says, if I create harm, I'm going to show up, I'm going to try, and I can say a lot more about why it's important to try, even if you think you might commit harm. But once you do it, just let yourself be open to receiving that feedback with a lot of non-defensiveness. I love that. So I have two more questions I definitely want to ask. The first one is, when, as a parent, what can we do if we see that our kids are 
bullying other kids or maybe just joking and making jokes about other kids based on the race or who they are, or if they're, you know, handicapped, there's different things that we mm -hmm. look at. What do we, what do we say? One thing to be able to do is to, is to use, is to use books. I mean, we're talking to parents of teens right now, but just mm -hmm. for if there's anybody who's got a teen and a little one, re reading books is quite something to them, you know, finding books that are, that are anti-racist picture books for example and beginning to talk about concepts or um one of the real effective ways that I know working with teens is to talk about myself is to mention my own struggles or to mention you know something about a way that I noticed that I was using power that I didn't enjoy and to you know open the conversation do you ever have these experiences my my child you know so this is one of the ways that I go about it Roxy what mm -hmm. do you Spring. Yeah, so I think it really depends if you if you're noticing happening, if you notice it happening live in the moment, right? Right. Because that's a that's a whole other challenge. Yeah. If it's happening right in the moment, you can just say, "Stop! This is not something that I want us to continue doing," and then make sure that the child who's impacted is is taken care of, and then when you have your child alone you can start to say, well, what's going on for you? Be curious about their experience. Because another thing that's really important is that when children do these things, there's almost this instrumental reason behind it. It's either like, this is my strategy for getting belonging, for being seen by my peers, for maybe ad addressing some nervousness or need for value, my sense of my own value that they might have. So be really curious about what was going on for them and then say, wow, okay, once I've given you some support about this thing, of course you want to be loved. Of course you want to fit in. Of course you're worried about being liked. And I'm concerned about the impact of that because if everyone does that when they're wanting to be liked, then we're always at risk of being harmed. We're always at risk of people judging us. And that's not how I want to be in the world. And so help them find other strategies, but start first with connection and compassion for the pain that they're experiencing that's leading them to act in this way. I love that both of you guys are just, it's not about shaming them or saying that's wrong or that's bad. It's about understanding where it's coming from mm -hmm. so that they can not have the shame and be able to figure out how to, how to change that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Now can let's, I, yeah. Please can I add me. one quick thing about yes. that though? Cause I want to make sure that the global majority parents aren't worried that this is going to be happening in front of their ch child. So I think it's really important as you do this kind of compassionate exchange with your child, that you're not doing it in front of the child who's impacted because we don't want that child to be sitting there saying, wait, what about me? Like you just called me this word and now you're getting all of the support and empathy. Yeah. So that's why I say first stop it, make sure that that child is safe and then separate them so that you can have this conversation conversation without further impact for the child. Who's I am hard. glad. Thank you for emphasizing that. That is the, all three of those steps are very, very important. That's great. So now let's flip it. We have a child who is being bullied based on their race. What do we do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, it depends on whether it's happening in the moment or like you, you know, we have our children come home and say, mom, this happened. Right. Yeah. And first, lots of self-compassion when I hear that happens because I get so hot. Mm -hmm. But then it's really about supporting your child. So 
one of the things I want to do is to make sure that they understand the difference between something that's about them, about their traits, and something that's systemic. So it's like, wow, this thing that's happening is an example of what racism looks like in our society, where people don't even see you. They don't even see like your gifts or your beauty, and they just make judgments. So I help them recognize and change that story that so many of us create that this is happening because I'm not enough, to this is happening because this is the system we're in. So that's one of the first messages I want to give them. And then the next is I want them to feel empowered. Like, I don't jump in. I used to do this to jump in and say, I'm going to come and fix it, right? I'm going right. To oh, to gosh, person. we love doing that as parents. Come on. <laughs> exactly. So I don't want to do that because I actually want to empower my child. So one of my next questions is, what help do you need? Right? Or do you yeah. need any help? And they can let me know, like, no, I, I'm going to take care of it. Can we role play what to do what to say to this person or they might say you know I'd rather just let it go I've had a child I talk about this in my first book how to have anti-racist conversations I had a child who was just like I don't want to do anything mm -hmm. right now because the cost is too much if I speak up I'm not going to get to do this activity that I love so yeah. let's address it afterwards so let your child in some ways have to lead in knowing how they want to respond while still holding that kind of parent vision of if they're not able to say we need, if, if they can't come up with a strategy for it to stop, you might need to intervene, right? You might need to go to the teacher. But generally, I'd like to be led by my children so that they can feel empowered and develop the skills in these situations. Yeah. Um, what if it's the teacher? If it's the teacher, then I am completely willing to go to administration because at some level, it's not okay. Some teachers have been causing harm, have been devastating black and brown youth for generations. And so when I see something that's happening with an adult in the situation, I go to someone who can stop it and say, you know, this is happening in the classroom. Not shaming, not saying this is an evil person, but saying, as an administrator, I want to know what you're doing to make this, to, yeah. to address this, to make sure it stops. So absolutely make sure that you address it if you feel comfortable going to the teacher, have that conversation. And if not, it's completely okay to go to, go above their heads. Yeah. And again, I'm not teacher bashing in any way, shape or form. I have so much respect. So I just want to yeah. throw that out there. I just know that again, they're, they're not immune to this. Right. And when you have so many kids, I don't think it's easy, as easy to be aware because there's so much overwhelm, right? So I think that's something that, again, if this is happening to your child, take that into consideration when you take it to the administration. So it's not like, oh my gosh, this person's evil or this person's a racist. It's more like, I don't know if they're aware that this is happening, right? And I think in these conversations, when you go to anybody, the teacher themselves or to an administrator, it's really important to lead with impact because it's really easy to start off with you're a bad person because you did this and then they just shut down. But if you start to say, my child is coming home crying every night and telling me that they are no longer good at reading or good at math because of what's happening in your classroom, it becomes like, okay, whether or not you're not saying I'm bad. So this is an impact I don't want to have. How can I fix it? And again, not everyone's open to it. Some teachers are lovely and are like, absolutely not. I don't want that to happen. Let yeah. me jump on that. And some don't. Then you go to the next step. Yeah, absolutely. I think that as soon as you start pointing a finger, you're not going to you're not going to change anyone. You're going to just get them to dig their heels in. Right. And so if we want to make change, I think starting with impact is a really, really important thing because they can't argue with how it's impacting somebody else. Exactly. And they can deny. Um, Sarah, do you have anything more to add in terms of just how do we 
help our kids. So, you know, we don't want them to be racist, but how do we help them become anti-racist? Like, how do we make, help them if they, not every kid wants to be that person. Some, like you said, just want to go through life and hopefully not let anybody notice them. That's their ideal. But what about the kids that really want to make a difference? What, what can they do and what can we do as parents? Well, my sense is always that we start with, with ourselves. Like if we want our child to be anti-racist, are we anti-racist? And if we want our child to be able to take action when they witness uh, a difficult exchange between two people, are we taking action that they get to witness? Uh, or are we just letting things slide by? Roxy often talks about the concept of, of negative peace and positive peace. And mm. I think that's a real important distinction and something that we get to think about and model as parents. And that is that a negative piece is when we just let everything go so that there's no apparent surface ripples, but people are being harmed below the surface or for us, it's below the surface if we're white, but if yeah. you're being harmed, it's not below the surface at all. But, um, uh, but how do we respond when we see something that's, that, that might be doing harm? And there, Roxy's first book, How to Have Anti-Racist Conversations, has some really great tools for people if they're thinking about, okay, what, what can I, uh, am I modeling this for my kid? In order, in order to invite our children forward, we we need to step forward first and then say, you know, do you want to come with me? Here I am. I'm doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add also that I love, love, love the idea of like having your children go with you to not just like um, speaking up, like times when you're speaking up, maybe you're going to a school board meeting and you bring your children with you so that they can hear you advocate for the mm -hmm. rights of all children. But it's also things like, um, what kinds of shows am I watching? Where am I taking them? Like what things am I exposing them to? I just did a parenting workshop. And one of the questions I asked parents were, um, what are some examples of microaggressions that are happening in your communities? And they said, one of the parents said, there are no people of color in my communities. Well, and I'm kind of thinking, <laughs> yeah, that's a big I'm thinking, one. how do you live? How do you live in the United States? And you have not taken your child yeah. to settings where they can meet other children of color. Mm -hmm. So it's really like making sure that your children have exposure, making sure they have opportunity to talk about what they see. Like, don't, don't, say I can't call someone black because if you can't call me black then you also can't talk about the harm that I experience as a black person right yeah. so be okay with using words like black latinx all of these are names that help us describe a person sure but it also helps us describe phenomena that are happening so be comfortable with language and then I used to when my children were little we would watch television and one of the things I loved doing was to just unpack everything so if we watched a cartoon I would say what do you think about how that black kid in the cartoon is like what their role is like? And we would talk about types, like what's their type? Are they the jock or are they the smart kid? So that they can start seeing some of the stereotypes that yeah. are being shoved on us and they can start to resist them. Yeah. And and one thing, you know, saying we can say words like black and white and Latinx. And I think one of the things I know growing up, kind of your way of saying I'm not racist is going, I don't see color. 
Right. And I think we, by saying that, we basically say we're whitewashing everyone in a way, right? Exactly. So I think one of the things that I'm hearing too is that we can recognize the different cultures, the dip, yes. right? Like and appreciate it. But I think what we're what we want to avoid is making negative or even overly positive, like you said, like all Asians are smart. That is detrimental too. Because again, mm -hmm. it is a very widespread assumption based on no information whatsoever, except right. for a face. Mm -hmm. um, so recognizing and seeing color is a good thing. Yes. It's not judging by the color that we want right. to do or we're not doing. Okay. Yes. Yes. I love this. So how can people find you and the work that you do? Sure. There's well, our, no, go on, Sarah, please. Website for, for Roxy's first book and for the book that we did together called antiracistconversations.com. That's a wonderful place to start. And Roxy. Right. And then um, Sarah and I uh, both have our own individual websites. Mm -hmm. So you can look at sarahpayton.com or roxanmanning.com. And we also just want to lift up for your listeners that on our website on antiracistconversations.com, you can also find our podcast. And there is a great podcast episode with an educator. So if you want to hear about this work from someone in the education field, look for our second podcast with Mike Tinoco. I will put a link in the show notes after I listen to it because I want to definitely hear that. That sounds amazing. So before we go, what is the one takeaway that each of you want to make sure parents are leaving with after this episode? I think for me, it's that the way that you are in the world is going to be the way that your children are in the world. Mm -hmm. So take the risk to be, to be anti-racist. I love it. And my, uh, what I'd love people to take away is that self-compassion is is everything that as we become more and more warm with ourselves we become more and more willing to see and to um also to if our global majority folks with self-compassion we're much less likely to get completely exhausted and burned out so <laughs> with all the things that are going on yeah and having self-compassion for ourselves is a whole nother episode <laughs> that's hard. i think that's a hard one isn't it it oh my sure gosh. Is. So thank you, Roxy and Sarah. I'm so grateful you could join us today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. And thank you parents for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I really appreciate you too. If you want information on how to best support your teens, check out my 10 top tips for raising teens at askdrcam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.